Let's get our Bibles out and open this morning to the book of 1 Thessalonians, page 1356 in the Pew Bible in front of you. I have been for some months now wanting to preach through this book on Sunday mornings, and I've been talking to the staff about this, and this past week in staff meeting, I told them they were asking me about it, and I told them, I said, well, I'm trying to push it back and uh, maybe um, get on the other side of the holidays, and I just, I can't do it. Um, I've been reading this book every day in preparation for this uh, sermon series for some months, and I feel like there's a, a, a volcano about to erupt inside of me. If I don't start preaching out of this book, I'm going to go insane. And today, um, we're not going to get past verse 1. Now, it should take about 12 weeks to cover this book, but I'm telling you, it has just uh, been such a blessing. It's set my heart ablaze, and I am just so very excited about our time together in this book. So today I'm going to just sort of introduce you to the magnificence of what Paul says in this amazing letter. So let's pray and then we'll talk for a while. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your word. God, as always, we acknowledge this is our most precious earthly possession. Thank you for your complete and inerrant word we Except this morning that it is written by you, that it's intended for us, and we want to hear from you and receive from you what you have to say to us. So I pray that you'll take this time now and redeem it, uh, anoint my words that they might uh, penetrate the hearts of the hearers. God, give each one ears to hear, and we will give you glory for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's a... Uh, uh, Sermon guide, hopefully you have that in your hand. And uh, your first uh, blank on that guide is that every life has a story. Every life has a story. All of us in here uh, are alive. Uh, you know, it may not look like it sometimes. And probably 20 minutes from now, there'll be a couple of you that look dead every Sunday. Just saying. And I know who you are. Just saying. So do the people behind you. Just saying. But anyhow, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, your spouse typically, their arm is just sore from all the years. They just give up. I mean, you know, I was preaching one time and a guy literally smoked his head on the pew in front. Pow! Like almost knocked himself out. That'll bless a preacher. <laughs> Amen. All right. So every life's telling a story. Your life's telling a story. You're alive, and it's telling a story. And you may think that the story is insignificant. You may tell yourself that. You may convince yourself of that. But here's what you need to consider. First of all, your life's telling a story. Second of all, that at some point, that story is going to be told. It may not be until your funeral, but it's going to be told in some context or degree. And uh, believe me, if you walked in my shoes for a while, you would know that uh, that can be a, a glorious time or it can be a very, very challenging time, uh, depending on the story that the person whose life I'm trying to uh, honor, what that story tells. But regardless of all of that, if you're a believer here this morning, you're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. It's not going to be you and your family or you and your spouse or you and anybody else. You're not going to stand you and me or anybody. It's going to be you and you alone and me and me alone before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ. And what's going to be discussed there is not going to be your sin because all that's been forgiven. It's going to be your story. Your story is what's going to be discussed there. And so we need to just have a, a, a very honest conversation about story this morning about your life and about what your story is. Now, every story has elements. There's elements of a story. There's pieces of a story. And so your story starts with a setting. It's a setting. Now, this sort of comes on the heels of I was setting you up last week with the parable of the barren fig tree. 
Because the setting of that tree is the vineyard in which it's planted in. So your story has a setting. Now there's a lot of things about your setting that sometimes don't work the way you want your setting to work. But some things you have control over, some things you don't. Some things you have no... Uh, you, you, in other words, you, you don't have control over where, what setting you were born into, what context, the family you were born into, all of those sorts of things. And a lot of those things have a lot to do with your setting. And so your story is going to start out with a setting. But, but now think about the setting for a second. If, if I tell you a story about uh, someone in, in Manhattan in New York City, or if I tell you a story about someone who is in Africa... Or if I tell you a story about someone who is in outer space, all three of those settings are different and they're going to dictate a, a, a completely different story. It's not going to be the same. The story of a person who lives in Ponta d'Abacaba in the northeastern jungles of Brazil is not going to be the same story as somebody who lives in New York City. And so you have a setting, and that setting plays a role in your story. But then even beyond that, you were not just sort of born in this setting or transferred into this setting or ended up in this setting, but you've somehow ended up in this setting, in here. So you went from a setting of 70,000 people in, is, I believe, the population of Gulfport. So from 70,000 people, then you moved into another setting, which is the setting of this particular faith family. Now, you could have ended up anywhere, but you didn't. You ended up here. And I'm sure that if we had time, we could go around the room and everybody could explain the, the, the nuances of how that ended up and what made it uh, be to where you ended up here, but here you are. It was some string of circumstances and uh, uh, getting to know people or invitations or proximity or something, but here you are. And there's things about this church that are different from other settings. The vast majority, over 85% of the churches in the state of Mississippi are under 100 people. There is a very, very small percentage of churches that are the size of this church. So that changes the setting. That, that impacts your story because it impacts your setting. And so how does that impact your setting? Well, in a lot of ways. First of all, in a church this size, you're not going to know everybody. It's impossible for you to know everybody. I don't know everybody. You can't know everybody. Somebody told me the other day, they said, Pastor, I visited another church. I said, you did? Where'd you go? And they said, well, I sat on the other side of the sanctuary. I said, oh, amen. Yeah. See, there's a whole other church over there, y'all. That's a whole other church. Completely different. Same thing over here. You know, every once in a while, Baptists, y'all ought to meet each other. You know what I'm saying? Like, I told somebody the other day, though, I said, hey, you weren't in church. They said, yeah, I was. I said, no, you weren't. They said, we moved. I said, don't do that. You mess me up. <laughs> See, you move. I think you're gone. Like, I might show up at your house. You need to send me a letter saying, we're moving to another section. Don't come visit me. Right? Because, I, I mean, I know, you're, I know you by where you sit. So you can't, you can't know everybody in a church this setting. But you also have a tremendous opportunity before you in a setting like this. You have things that are available to you that are, that are beyond what, most churches could ever even begin to offer you. There's no possible way you could even, A, know all of the things that are going on here. B, you couldn't be involved in them. Impossible. It is hard for me to keep up because there are so many ministries and so many opportunities and so many things. and so It's just impossible. And they're everywhere. And so you have all of these opportunities that say maybe if you were in a church where you knew everybody, but you, which would be maybe good for you, I don't know. The flip side of that is you'd have a far more limited uh, opportunity uh, 
table set out before you of all the things that you could be involved in and do. You see? And so, here's your setting. Here we are. Now, our story is set here. But what's the next element? In other words, if you go and sit down in a movie or pick up a book and start reading a book, the story's going to start out. It's going to give you a setting. Here's the town. Here's the state. It's going to give you some idea about it. You're going to get a feel for what's the weather, what's the season, what's the setting. But then we're going to hone down. We're going to move from setting, which is very broad, into context. Context. You see, within this setting, although we all share this setting, there is this unbelievable variance in context. Now, I know you don't fully understand what I'm talking about, but you will in a minute. What I'm telling you is is that there's... Hundreds of people sitting in the same room listening to the same thing right now. Hundreds. And there's literally dozens upon dozens upon dozens of different contexts going on here in the very same setting. Not everyone is experiencing the same thing in their setting. Not everyone is... uh, utilizing opportunities the same in the setting. There is such a variety, it's unbelievable. In fact, it drives me crazy. Absolutely drives me crazy. You see, in whatever setting you're in, you have choices. You have choices. God puts you in a setting and then you make choices that determine the context of your setting. So the choices that you make in your setting determine your context. The choices that you make in your setting determine your context. You see, you you, you make choices uh, about any number of things. You see... Some of you, let's just start rolling out some of these uh, very simplistic examples. Some of you came into this setting and very shortly after that made the choice to get involved in a Sunday school class. That then changed your context. You see, because those of you that are involved in a Sunday school class have a completely different context than those of you that come in, sit and listen to a sermon and leave every Sunday. It's completely different. Because when you're involved in a Sunday school class, you have now this new context of people. You're building relationships with people. People know about you. People know what's going on. You know about them. You have fellowship outside of this uh, building. You, it changes your context. It brings new things into your context. But no one forced you to do that. That was a choice you made that changed your context. And you can just extrapolate that out over all of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of choices that you have. I mean, think about the, the, the enormity with which choices impact context. There are a, an army of families in this fellowship that a year ago made a choice to become foster homes. And it drastically, irrevocably, eternally changed their context. You understand? No one forced them to do that. They chose to do that. And it completely changed their context. Their Christmas, their Thanksgiving is so... It's almost unrecognizable what will happen this year compared to last year. By that one choice. Some of you have made a choice to walk beside those families. And it has drastically impacted your life. Some of you have gotten involved in, in ministries. You made a choice this year to engage in, some, in ministry and it has changed your context. Some of you have started ministries and it's changed your context. In other words, choices change context. Choices determine context. If you choose, you see, you can be in the setting... And yet, 
be in the setting with all these other people in the same setting, and the context can be utterly, drastically different based upon the choices that you and me make. Now, are you with me? You see? Maybe... You see, it, for, for some of you, if you're honest... Your context is really the people that you work with. I mean, it just is. I mean, you, you're, you're here on Sunday morning, but your context is the people that you work with. That's your context. That's who you're doing life with. That's, that's what you're thinking about most of the time. That's who you're investing in. That's who you're, that's, that's who you're walking with. For some of you... Your context uh, revolve around who's on your ball team. And your world revolves around whatever ball team you're engaged in and whatever people are on that ball team, and that's really your context. So you may be here from time to time, but your context isn't here. Your context is around some sports team. You see, when it comes down to who we're doing life with, what really is the context of the story that my life is telling? Now remember, every one of us is telling a story with our life. No matter what you think, no matter what you feel, no matter it does, every single person tells a story. You may or may not have much control over the setting. But you have an enormous amount of control over the context. Especially when you're in a setting like this. You see, when you traipse around the jungles for 10 days, it changes you. You begin to realize there are people in settings that are very, very different. They have far fewer choices. They have incredibly reduced opportunities. Their choices are so small. Oh, those believers in those little villages have such small choices. And after they come to Christ, they're... they're, they're field of, of context is so narrow compared to ours, it's unbelievable. Maybe you're, maybe you're new here. Maybe you just started coming to church here and you're still a little freaked out, you know, by the whole thing. And you're, you know, you're trying to find your way and, you know, you're trying to figure all this out and, and you know, where to go and what to do and, and, and what's going to happen. And, you know, I mean, you feel like it's some crazy game show and you never know what's behind curtain number two. See, because everybody else just gets up. I mean, I'm going to get done preaching and we're going to be done this morning and then I'm going to pray and say, man, everybody's going to get up and they're just going to stampede off to some place that they know very well. And if you don't get out of their way, they're going to stampede right over you. And so what you're going to do is act like you, you know, know where you're going, but really you're just going to the parking lot. Not necessarily because you want to, but because you, you don't know where else to go. And unfortunately, a lot of times we just put our heads down, our blinders on, and we just stampede off in our own direction, and we don't have any sort of thought about anybody else. We're just worried about ourselves. We don't want to miss out on the donut. We're trying to make sure the coffee doesn't get cold. Maybe you're new to the area. Maybe you just landed in a new setting. I mean, we have lots of people that land here in new settings for a while. Lots of people who are serving in our armed forces who are here for a time. And, and yet they're... They're in the same, they're, it looks like the same setting, you know, they serve in the same way, they're here for the same time, 
But what a drastic difference. Sometimes, by the time their time here is over and they're moved somewhere else, we barely know anything about them. Sometimes, there are people who've been here for the same amount of months and yet they're forever like our family. And they stay in touch with us, still come visit. And they were here for the same time in the same setting, but it was about the choices that they made. They made choices to engage themselves, to stretch themselves out, to do things. You see, but here's what we do. You, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe you're not new here or maybe you're not new to the area. Maybe you're just alone. I don't mean alone by that there's nobody physically around you. I mean, you're alone. You feel alone. And even though there might be people around, you still feel alone. And either way, here's what we do. We tell ourselves that we're, we're just not good at, 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 at meeting people or putting ourselves out or, you know, in, engaging in things. But, but honestly, that's just an excuse to not do what's hard, isn't it? See, see, nobody's really good at that. I mean, there's these wacky people in the world like my wife. She's borderline insane. I mean, it just really, she is. She's not right in the head. She's not. She never meets a stranger. She will burst into a room of people, don't care, nothing. I mean, I want to die. To die. Who is like that? But you see, I know in my heart that, that really when I, when I say, well, you know, I'm just not good at that. It's just not my thing. I'm just making excuses because it's hard, and so I don't want to do it because it's hard. See, it's choices. So what I want you to see is that we're all doing life in a setting. And we're all making choices that are determining our context. And your context is going to determine your story. And your story is being told whether you like it or not. And so it's, it's clipping away. I mean, I don't know what chapter you're in. And I don't know when the last page turns. I don't know any of those answers. But what I do know is that the story is being told. And there's nothing we can do about it. And here's the setting that we're in. So what are we going to do about the context? I think about the story that my life is telling. I think about this setting. I think about how unique my opportunity is. I think about how great the responsibility that that opportunity brings is. I think about when I see your kids in the hall and when I hug them and I tell every little girl here how beautiful she is. And I look down into the little faces of your little boys and I, I hope and pray that they'll grow up and change the world, but I, 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 I realize that my intention is to see them grow up. I've made choices. I've chosen to plant myself somewhere and stay planted. It's a choice. So that I have the opportunity to see things that other pastors never get the opportunity to see. To walk with and do life generationally with people. It's a choice. But I see people in the same setting choose to, to distance themselves, to withdraw, to minimize instead of maximize their opportunities. So why is all this important? It is so important. Because your context is going to shape your story. It is shaping everything about your story. I mean, if we had time to just think about it, the, the, the moments when See, there was a moment way back when somewhere where somebody was in this setting and they, 
And I mean, there's some people, there's some people in here this morning I'm talking about decades ago. They made a choice to teach children Sunday school. I made that choice for about a decade. That's a hard choice to make. You see, because when you teach children Sunday school, you, you negate your own Sunday school experience. So while you're stampeding to go get your donut and your hot coffee, they're stampeding to a classroom of, you know, needs. There ain't no donut and coffee waiting on them. But they've made that choice, see? And, and so that's their context, and that's, that's drastically impacted their story. And so someday their story is going to get told. And if I'm the one that tells their story, trust me, it's going to be easy for me to tell that story. But it's really not about me telling the story and you sitting around and there's a casket up here. It's not about that. They're going to stand before Jesus face to face and the discussion is going to be about the context of their life. And he's going to say, you know what? You, 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 you chose to forego coffee and donuts every Sunday. You chose to forego that and to slave it away for someone else's kids. Praise the Lord. See, this morning, I grabbed Nancy's, Nancy and Chuck came in. I grabbed Nancy's bag and helped her carry her stuff in. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I, I know, I'm sure that, that Nancy would like to be in her husband's Sunday school class every, every week. I'm sure she'd like to be in church every Sunday. My wife would like to be in church every Sunday. But guess what? She made choices. She made choices. They're hard today, but brother, you better get out of the way. Better get out of the way. Because let me tell you something. The dump truck of crowns ain't going to dump on Tony. They're going to dump on Lisa. That's who they're going to dump on. But I mean, I'm thinking, I'm carrying her back. I'm thinking, how many years... Has Nancy been over there teaching in Kingdom Kids? Long time. I mean, she, you know, every week she'd think, well, I could just quit doing this. I mean, I've done my time. I mean, they're not my kids. I've raised my kids. I'm raising grandkids. I mean, but she makes a choice. Changes her context. You understand? I remember a bunch of years ago, there was a school teacher in our church. And she started teaching right out of college. So she's up for retirement. She's still a young lady. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's like unbelievable that you were talking about retirement. I'll never forget. I'm, I'm sitting there after church. And we're having a conversation. She said, you know, I can retire. And I'm, I'm going, huh? And I'm like, well, don't you love teaching? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, why are we having this kind? Well, I was thinking about retiring. All right, well, what are you going to do? She said, I think I'm going to devote myself to Operation Christmas Child. She made a choice. Now, her context is Operation Christmas Child. In July, it's Operation Christmas Child. In August, it's Operation Christmas Child. In February, it's, I mean, it'll drive you crazy. It's 12 months a year. That's her context. But let me tell you something. It changed her story. She's going to stand before God. And I think, what was the 37,000 shoeboxes have come through here since she's led that ministry? 37,000. She made a choice. Now just think about it. What if she would have chosen, I'm just going to sit here and listen to a sermon and go to the parking lot and go home? How many times have you just made a choice, just sleep in on Sunday? You tell yourself, oh man, you know what I mean? I'm tired. I worked all week. I'm... So you made a choice. It sets your context. It's part of your story. Your choices are stacking up on you, whether you realize it or not. You're a tree planted in a vineyard. And there's a patient 
master and a gracious vine dresser that are fertilizing and watering. And they're waiting for fruit, but they're not going to wait forever. It's a story. What's your story? There's so much research about this. It's so fascinating. I, I can't even begin to... I'm just going to give you some, some, some pieces of it. Okay? There, there's research out there that shows that your friends influence your emotions. You know, you know that? You know there's, there's research out now that shows the people that you hang around with will determine how much you weigh. It's It's crazy. It's insane. But, but think of your emotions. That, that when people, uh, when you put two people together in a context and they start doing life together, they're going to unconsciously begin to copy each other. They're going to subconsciously use uh, similar facial expressions, hand gestures, even vocal patterns begin to change and mimic one another. You, you put somebody in close proximity, in context with somebody who's, who's a negative person, who's always negative, 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 and it's going to drastically impact the emotions of the person you're, you're with. You know that? When you take the same person out of that context and put them in a new context with a person who's very vibrant and upbeat and hopeful and happy, and it'll, it'll, change, it'll totally change their emotions. Just your context, the, the choices that you make. But who are you gonna who are you gonna do life with? Because God made us with this with this internal uh, uh, just desire to to be influenced by those around us. He he put us in. He wants us to be in wholesome, godly context. Therefore, we will then you know be influenced by that and the, and the cycle repeats itself. But when you break down the context and the context becomes unhealthy, then everything starts falling apart around us. I was reading about this fascinating study where some psychologists, uh, what they would do is they would get these participants and they'd bring them, they'd get four people and they'd bring them into a room and this is all they would do. They would show them three lines of various lengths. Okay? Then... They would turn off the screen and they would show them a fourth line. And the fourth line matched one of the first three. And you had to choose which one it matched. Okay? You with me? The trick is, though, when they brought the four people in, three of them were actors. Only one person was a real participant. Now, when they just let them go... Almost 100% of the time, 99% of the time, everybody knew which line matched. They would go, oh yeah, that's like line number two, or that's like line number three. They knew it, 99% every time. So then what they did is they said, okay, now they'd bring them in, and they let the real person go last. And the three actors would all choose the same wrong line. And guess what the fourth person did? Even though they knew it was wrong... They were either influenced by the other three and began to doubt themselves or they didn't want to go against the grain and over a third of the people would just willingly and knowingly choose the wrong line because of the pressure of being there in line and everyone else chose that one. You see, context, it's going to impact your emotions. It impacts so much about you. Secondly, your friends are going to make your habits. I cannot overemphasize the importance of habits. So much of your life, your spiritual life, is, is going to be, it utterly hangs in the balance of, of habits. Everyone is equally uh, connected to habits. It may take some of us a shorter time, some a longer time to form a habit, but we're all habitual people by creation. That's why God made us. You know, if you take... Uh, I was reading research about if you take a middle school student who's struggling in school and you put them in a new context, you put them in close proximity with a, with a high-achieving student, their grades go up. You, you, uh, your, your college roommate is, is high-achieving, your, your GPA goes up. If they're a slacker, your GPA goes down. You're the same person, but your context changes. It creates your habits. It's 
It's what the Bible teaches in Proverbs 13, 20. It's who you do life with. If you walk with wise people, you'll become wise. But if you're a companion of fools, you'll be destroyed. Because Why? Because we're susceptible to influence. That's just the way it goes. So what I want you to do is I... I want you to realize that what you think about and care about will be deeply shaped by your context. What what is important to you, what matters to you, what you connect emotionally to. Because really, it's not about, uh, it's it's not really, if I say, well, what context are you living in? Well, you're just going to start, you know, making up junk and telling people what they want to hear. But the question is, what do you think about? What are you thinking about? What, what do you care about? That's your context. What's most important to you? That's your context. You know that, that feeling you have like right when you get done reading a really good book? Or for some of you, scratch that, watching a movie? Book? I don't read books. I'll preach on that later. But anyway, you feel you get done reading a book or watching a movie? It was really good, and the story's over. And then when it's over, here's what you do. You sort of reflect on the story, don't you? And then, then when it's, now that you know the outcome of it, you start reflecting on the, maybe some choices that were made or some pivotal moments and how they shaped the story. But you know what you don't do? You don't think about those things during the story because you don't know the outcome yet. So you just flow with the events of the story, Right? You don't examine all the little pivotal things until the movie's over, until the book's done. But that's how life is. Here's the problem. This is what we do. We get older. We, get, we, we begin to get frail. The clock starts ticking down. And then we start thinking about our story because now it's you know, getting to the end of the story. But here's the problem. The story's over by then. What I'm trying to get you to do is stop right now in the midst of the story. Whatever chapter you're in, stop right now and start examining and realizing that the end hasn't been written yet. You see, you've got choices that you're making today that are going to influence tomorrow and the days to come after that. And so this isn't just for, although it is highly important for the, the young people in the room, but it's not just for, it's for all of us. That we have to stop now in the midst of this. So we can't wait till the end. Because at that point, well, what are you going to do? Today. What is your context today in the midst of the setting? Now, Paul, you're thinking to yourself, okay, man, that's okay, but what has that got to do with First Thessalonians? It's got a lot to do with it. Because, see, the Apostle Paul, he, he goes to Thessalonica. It's probably about 50 A.D., it's his second missionary journey. He goes in there and he begins to share the gospel. He starts going in the synagogues and teaching about Jesus. And Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the one you've been waiting for. And he's teaching all these amazing, uh, you know, and, he, and he's telling them, look, I know this to be a fact. I, uh, Jesus captured me on the road to Damascus. And as you can imagine... It was, a big, uh, it, it, was a, it was a big topic of conversation and discussion. It didn't go unnoticed by the people in Thessalonica. This hustling, bustling, you know, uh, town of a strong economy and, and uh, just people and goods traveling all over the place. And so a lot of people started following Jesus, started giving their life to Christ. But then a lot of people got mad and didn't like it. And a mob arose and... And, and came after Paul. Well, they couldn't find Paul. Paul wasn't there. But he was staying at a guy's house named Jason. And they drugged Jason out, beat him up, extorted a bunch of money from him. And, uh, you know, we're trying to, they thought, well, if we'd start a riot, we could just quell this whole Christianity thing down. So they were doing everything they could do to just stop uh, Christianity from spreading and stop the message of Paul and Keep people from hearing about Jesus. And so Paul, in the midst of all that, was forced to do the hard thing. I mean, he, he loved those people. He was, he'd spent some weeks there with them. He'd seen them come to Christ. They're brand new Christians. But he had to leave because if he stayed, because believe me, we're talking about Paul here. And if you've been following on Sunday nights, you know this guy's not scared of anything. But if he stayed, it would bring more persecution to the people at Thessalonica. So he left because he knew that maybe if he left, it would die down. It would be easier on them. 
So he left, and it maybe died down some, but they were under great persecution. Great persecution. So when you open up 1 Thessalonians, what you're doing is you're opening up this letter that Paul is writing to these brand new believers that he had to leave, that he knows are living in great persecution. And that they're just very young. I mean, some of them months old in the Lord. And, and they live in a, in a city where people are not at all excited about the fact that they become followers of Christ. And he's concerned about them and he loves them. And so here's what he writes. Look at verse 1. He says, Paul, Silvanus, or that's Silas in the book of Acts, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. Now here's what I want you to see before we get to the Lord's table. Their setting hadn't changed, has it? See, they, they lived in Thessalonica before Paul showed up, before all this turned upside down, didn't they? Yeah. And they lived thereafter, right? They're, it's in, they're in the same setting. But their context has radically changed because of choices that they made. Primarily, their choice to follow Christ. And so everything about their context has changed. Their story just took a U-turn. The story that was writing about their life just took a drastic U-turn. And what just blows my mind is that Paul writes to these new believers who are in the same setting, who are part of God's church. He says, you are, look at it, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if I wrote in my Bible, I'd put a big circle or a line under the word in. That preposition right there. You know, prepositions bring clarity to relationships, don't they? You know, you could say, well, you're with him or you're beside him. You know, whatever that preposition is, it's going to determine what the relationship is between the two things that you're describing. But when you put in, when you say you are in God the Father, now it tells you about that relationship, doesn't it? That word in, it means union, to be unified, to be in union with God. So to be in Christ is to no longer be alone in the world. The first piece of this is that he's saying you're in Christ. You're no longer alone in the world. So you're living in the same setting, but your new context is one of persecution, and it's going to be difficult for you. Things have changed drastically, so I want you to know that, we, that you're no longer in the world alone. No longer. Secondly, to be in Christ is the reality that we're united with God by faith as His adopted child. You see, you're in God and in Jesus Christ. And so Paul is saying, listen, he is, he is telling them, you need to focus on context right now. If you don't know the context, this thing is going to, the wheels are going to come off this thing. You've got to focus down on not your setting, because your setting is a bunch of turmoil, but your context. You're united with God. You're not separated from God. No matter how you feel, no matter how things may look around you, you're united with God. You're His adopted child. And then lastly, now permanently residing in the family of God. It can never be changed. It's irrevocable. So, so listen, when, when, the, when the mob comes with the torches outside and they start kicking your door down and they want to drag you out, listen, you got to know something. It's, it's permanent. It's irrevocable. You're in the family. You reside with God. Nothing can ever change that. Paul doesn't know the, the extent to which the, the persecution is going to grow or come to, but he does, it doesn't matter. All that matters is do they know their context? Do they understand that because of the choices they've made, they've set some things in stone. They're adopted children. They're united with Christ. They are permanently abiding in His family no matter what. No matter what. Then he says, because of that, grace to you and peace from God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, you're, now you're in God. You're in Jesus. So now because of this, in the midst of your setting, you can have peace. 
You can have peace because grace is what brought you in. And so you have security in that. So you didn't earn your way in. You can't behave your way out. But grace brought you in and now you're secure in that. And so the God of peace, may he just rest peace upon you. You can have peace in the midst of that. And he says, our father, he's our father. You see, you know what's, why God pictures himself as a father? Because a father has two main characteristics. Power and love. And they work beautifully together. A good father is a powerful father. A, a good father makes his family feel safe and secure and provided for and protected. But also loved and cared for. And he says, God, the perfect father, is our father. And you're in this setting. You see? So here we are in this setting. And what you're going to learn in the weeks to come about the church at Thessalonica is that in a lot of ways, they're like us. In a lot of ways, they got it a lot harder than we do. But even in the midst of that, that we share certain commonalities. And one of them is this. Every Christian, every Christian has unlimited potential in the context of Christ. I just want you to know before we go to the Lord's table, there's no limit on your potential, okay? Your context is unlimited. I want you to understand that. It doesn't matter what you've done all the way up until today. That's all, that's all past. But from this moment, from the breath you're taking right now to the last breath you take, there's no limit upon your context. You understand that? There's no limit as to the, the, the degree to which you can impact the kingdom of God. There's no limit on the... In other words, that you are, are bound only by your willingness to make choices. You're bound only by your willingness to do hard things. You're bound only by your willingness to put your comfort aside for the comfort and exaltation of Christ. Yes. There's no limit. It's unlimited potential. Doesn't matter. If you have a week, a month, decades, so it doesn't matter. It's unlimited starting right now. You know, when, when Jesus, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, He said, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. We all know that verse. You know that verse? I want you to think about that verse. What, what is that verse saying? What is Jesus saying? He's saying, think first about what? Context. What's your context? What do you love the most? What do you spend most time with? What's your context? If you seek first the kingdom of God, if you seek first the right context, everything else is going to fall into place. It's a conditional promise, isn't it? Does Jesus say, I'm going to make you seek it? Does he say that? Or do you choose that? He's saying, he's saying, anybody in the world who follows me, who wants everything else added unto them, would you, sir, ma'am, would you, does anybody in here, was anybody in this room, do you want all other things added unto you? Is there any takers for that? Because here's the deal. It's yours. It's a free promise. You can have it. But guess what? It's conditional. you got to make a choice. What are you going to seek? You choose that. He doesn't make you. He says, if you choose the context of seeking first me and my righteousness, then all these other things. But what have we so often chosen? Our own context. To seek our own things, haven't we? And so that's why that promise isn't true in your life this morning. But here's the good news. It can be right now. Right now. It can be right now. You can make a choice right now that will change your story forever right now. Some of you need to make a choice to follow Christ right now. You're, you're like the Thessalonians. Your whole life is going to change right in this minute. You're going to make that choice. Some of you need to make a choice to do something hard. You're going to have to stretch yourself out. You're going to have to get engaged with a smaller group of people. You've got to change your context. You're going to have to make a choice today. You're going to have to make a choice. You're going to have to walk in your Sunday school room. And you're going to have to raise your hand. You're going to say, can I have a few minutes? You're going to have to say, listen, I sit here every week and I keep my mouth shut. And I don't say anything because I'm shy or because I'm scared or because I'm whatever I am. But I want you to know that I want to change my context. I want people to do life with me. Look, we got to go, but listen to me. One Sunday morning, I'm up here preaching. 
We get to the altar call. And this single mom in our church, some of you in here will remember. It's about seven years ago. Single mom, I had just become senior pastor. A single mom walks down the aisle. I knew her well. My wife knew her well because she was in, involved with her uh, adopted little girl. But no, no one in the church really knew her. She stood right there. She came up, and I'm thinking, okay. So I prayed with her, and she said, can I say a few words? I'm like, uh, okay. So I had everybody sit down. I handed Brooke that microphone right there. And she said, I'm lonely, and I don't want to be lonely anymore. And I, want to, I need people in my life. I just moved here. I'm a single mom. Uh, I need a job. I need, you know, and it was kind of awkward. And man, she got enveloped. She got it's just enveloped. That was about August. Christmas Eve, Lisa and I are sitting in the hospital room in Jackson. I'm holding Brooke's hand. She took her last breath. She found out she had cancer about a month after that moment. She died Christmas Eve. Her little girl sitting right there in Lisa's arms doesn't have another person in the world. And all I could think about was that choice right there. I could think about that choice. And I said, the minute she said goodbye and that hand went limp in my hand, she was standing before Jesus. Man, she was standing before Jesus. He said, daughter, oh, that, remember that day you stood there? That was hard. But you wanted it. He said, well done. Well done. I'm going to take care of your little girl. Don't worry. You can make a choice right now. What story are you telling? Let's stand by our heads.